0: Thanks to Cry Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, former flatmate and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. Regular flatmate,
1: not ex, not former. We'll do it all again. I'm going to come up to Brisbane next next weekend and then we'll do it again for the Ecker this time again next year as we did this time last year and the year before that. Actually, Lockie, uh, we, we we might just play the odd couple theme. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, no, well, look. To be honest, listeners, there there wasn't a lot of time, quality time spent um, awake together. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. By the time we set up, what are you, it, saying, you know, but... Counted the till and uh, and had a couple of uh, a couple of. And I, can I can I just uh, I have to just a bit of a shout out because it's one of those beers that I've, I'm guilty of. Uh perhaps ignoring a little bit, but I really fell in love with uh, Mountain Goat Fancy Pants during the Eka because... All over again. Yeah, just grab a couple out of the fridge um, as we as we left the stand to sort of, you know, to count the till by and, and you know, mull over the day and working you know, in a plan for tomorrow and all that sort of thing. And it's just one of those things, it's just, you know, you want the beer to just kind of sit there and you just have a bit of a sip and, and you want it to to kind of listen to your day. Um, but it really, it, it was almost like a, you know, a third person in the
0: conversation. It was always, oh, uh, no, it just sort of, it, it snuck up on me a little bit. I was pleasantly surprised. No, no. Beautiful beard. So for for those who have heard us mention the exhibition, obviously the Royal Queensland Show, the Echo 10 days of you know, animals, uh, dagwood dogs, and thanks to Pete Knight craft beer, um, we had a little stall there showcasing six uh, Australian independent craft breweries to uh, to get the good word about great beer out to uh, to the people of the show. And Mountain Goat was one of the breweries that was on board. Um, and yes, Proffer uh, certainly enjoyed it. It's been a long time since I've had a fancy pants and uh, really enjoyed it. And you, you've left a couple in the fridge that I've been enjoying since you left and uh, still enjoying them very much. The other real turn up for the books was the... Um, that I know you enjoyed as well was the Green Beacon Kolsch from uh, Green Beacon just down in Tenerife in Brisbane. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'd I'd managed to snaffle a couple of um, cans that were left over after the judging from the AIBA, uh, but hadn't sort of really got into the beer and and certainly hadn't tried it on tap and was uh, very pleasantly surprised, as were a lot of the punters who wanted that um, entry-level, I guess, um, pallet weight uh, beer and that was a good one for us, uh, that one and, and the Mountain Goat Steam Ale, were a great way to sort of gauge people's, um, I guess, tolerance, you know, um, bitterness, threshold, those, those kind of things. Um, but, yeah, and the, the, the beautifully well made, um, and as we all know, those who, who have a love of that very subtle style beer called Kolsch that the Germans are almost apologetic for because it's so boring, um, there's nowhere to hide a fault. So having that beautiful subtle mellow malt, just or almost hop neutral in terms of you know just beautifully balanced with the with the hops, and then having the um, the yeast kind of give a slight lemon lime spicy um, mid palate zing, um, just made it a, a, a very interesting beer if you sat and really listened to it, but um, but very easy drinking if you just wanted uh, something for drinking not for thinking.
0: Mm. But and and that's the thing. It it was great, you know. The the concept of uh, of gateway beers conjures up all sorts of discussion. But, you know, when you know, what what do you reckon, Prof? Fifty percent of the people who came up to the stand over the tent had no idea
1: what craft beer was.
0: Yeah, didn't recognise anything. And I don't recognise any
1: of these. Tell me about them. And for them, there was no such. There's no concept of a gateway beer. That's I guess that's very much from inside the tent looking out. um, Yeah, uh,
0: exactly. Um, and I know that people like Jade from the Weedy, you know, hates the idea of the gateway beer because she wants to see people jumping in the deep end and challenged, um, which is great. But, you know, when people come up to the stand and they don't recognize anything, you know, we, we tend to start with, so what's your favorite beer? And, you know, Great Northern, um, which is the, you know, locally made Corona knockoff or Corona version. Yep. I should say that's a bit pejorative, um, you know. Uh, uh, to his, you know, uh, Ted. Um, yeah, Ted's Super dries and super dries um, and Forex Gold. There weren't, for there, Queensland, were there, there weren't was... too many Forex uh, Gold drinkers coming up, was there? There are, yeah, I reckon there were. Okay, yeah. okay, maybe I was a little bit uh, tone deaf to it because <laughs> I'm a Queenslander, but uh, yeah, and and you know, it was a great beer um, to introduce them to, just to sort of show them what a full malt body and a little bit of um, you know, balanced bitterness um represents but at the same time you know and and so it was a great beer for that purpose but at the same time i found myself just loving drinking it you know um as a beer that i was just enjoying drinking because it was so beautifully balanced and so elegant there was nowhere for it to hide no, nowhere for any faults to hide and it just nailed it so uh you know joe down at green beacon uh, it was actually it was interesting a lot of um yeah you know, people who do fit within that beer bubble circle um i i think as happens with a lot of small breweries where you've got a you know owner brewer or something like that they they found getting their stride um took a little bit of time and consistency across their beers um the co really took a second look at the kolsch um or probably this time last year or 18 months ago when Green Beacon got a silver at the uh, Royal Queensland Beer Competition for the Colch and I was on the judging panel, and it it really wowed me then, and it's just gotten better. So, yeah, if anyone's been to to Green Beacon and thought "Mm, they've got a bit of ways to go, head back down there because uh, they're doing some great stuff, uh, Joe and uh, Morgan. Yeah, their stride, I think. Exactly. So, uh, mate, yeah. So, look, it was it was lovely to have you as a as a housemate. A lot of fun, and uh, you know, thank you for all of your help. But, uh, yeah, definitely uh, look forward to seeing you up for the uh, Queensland Homebrew Conference in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah. Now, uh, mate, probably not too much on the news front after you know we had quite a bit happen with uh, Pure Blonde and then the natural, uh, not the natural beer promise, the uh, um, beer the beautiful, beautiful truth, truth. campaign. Yep. Uh, it's been all been a little bit quiet this week, so we might just go straight into the first interview. Um, now, something that came up across my uh, desk early this week, um, we, we interviewed Mazen Hajar, who created a bit of a oh, shitstorm in a teacup uh, with his comments about buying taps, um, we might get to the feedback about that at right at the very end within it, in, in our mailbox um, rather than talk about it now, but just as that happened, a media release came through um, with uh, a possible campaign so those who know possible it 's one of those uh, crowd sourcing or crowdfunding um, things yep. and uh, it 's a brewery uh, know, a bar in Adelaide that um, starts with Ever wondered why all your local bars and pubs have the same beers on tap? Ever wondered why your favourite craft beer never seems to be there? This is happening because brewing giants are offering enticements like cash rebates, tap installation and other incentives to lock out up to 100% of beer taps in the thousands of pubs around Australia. Now, on the back of Muzzin's comments, I thought this was interesting that, you know, um, going to the public to pay for your taps instead of the... Breweries is an interesting model. um As we've talked about, you know, we, we've looked into possibles before with the beer bud guys who were looking at, yep. you know, importing. Yeah. um it, it didn't get off the ground. This one's well and truly uh, on its way. It's eleven thousand two hundred and forty-one dollars out of fifteen thousand. So we thought, yeah, look, with, with a mixture of going, wow, how fantastic is this, and a little bit of you know, alarm bells about, well, oh, well, you know, how you know, bona fide is all of this, Um, we decided to give Oliver Brown, who's one of the uh, owners, um, a a chat and, uh, you know, put some questions to him about their possible campaign and also find out a little bit more about the NOLA bar that's opening in uh, Adelaide. So here's Oliver Brown.
2: NOLA is a New Orleans-inspired craft, craft beer and whiskey bar. Um, The idea around New Orleans is to sort of get a... A venue that kind of encompassed the energy and the vibe, um, and the excitement of the streets of New Orleans. That kind of like dusty, deep piano in the corner or just, just a bit of energy and a bit of fun. So, um, yeah, that was to kind of give the venue a bit of lift and a bit of excitement. Um, but our primary focus was always the, the beers and the, the alcohol itself. So, um, there's four of us, myself, Josh Talbot, Matthew Orman, and Alex Marshall. Um, the other three actually all did aerospace engineering, so kind of a bit of a change of events for them. Um, but they're all really into their beers and do quite a bit of brewing themselves. Um So we initially fell in love with beer, um, and then we kind of met each other along the way through our love of beer and decided that Adelaide CBD was sort of missing a venue that was able to display this properly or, or to do the beer properly. So we came together and started started NOLA. Um, and during the process of that, I'd started a bar myself before, just a little pop-up wine bar. I studied winemaking or onology, viticulture at Adelaide. So that was my sort of first love and then moved into beer from there. But, um, yeah, during our process, we kind of found out about cats and how they're purchased out by the large breweries and, why all the bars and pubs we went to seemed to have the same, seemed to have the same beers on taps, maybe with one or two different offerings. So, as we found out that a lot of these taps are actually purchased and bought um by the big brewery, so we wanted to do something different. We wanted to have the freedom to pour what we wanted, when we wanted, um, without any restrictions or control by, by the big guys. So, through that, we kind of found out that it was expensive to put a tap system in um, or to do a tap system properly adds quite a bit of cost so we thought we would start and really do the community um, the community based thing so the idea was to help the community help us support the um, beers and the brewers in the community so yeah we found the possible platform and thought it was a pretty cool interesting concept to have a play with. Um, During this time we've Spent a bit of time getting to know the local brewers in the state who have all been pretty supportive of our of our campaign. So we haven't sold any of our taps or anything like that. It's purely been, been the breweries just supporting the campaign to keep taps open because as brewers, they love beer themselves and they just want to see good beer poured. So, yeah, it's been a real community-based um, endeavour by us. It's been, yeah, really good, really exciting.
0: It It's one of those really interesting um, models, isn't it? Because, you know, on, on one hand, you can say, well, you know, this will allow us to, uh, you know, keep the taps open or keep the taps free by not selling them to the the big guys. But there's also an element of it's a little bit like, um, you know, Qantas are saying, well, you know, uh, we'll we'll have really shitty seats, you know, but we'll crowdsource putting better seats into our plane. So when you next fly with us, you've got better seats. Um. You know, someone like Qantas invests. Um, you know, say it's three hundred dollars for a ticket. A portion of that price goes into covering things like better seats. Is it isn't you know, isn't what you're doing asking people to pay for something that you know is normal a normal cost of business? You know, the the installation of the taps. You know, uh, the, the 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 chairs that you use, the 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 door and the glassware are all things that. Um, you know, a venue would normally pay for as part of the, uh, the the cost of running a business.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and that's what took um, most of our thought leading into the campaign. And we didn't want people to think that they were just paying for what we would usually have to pay for. That wasn't the idea at all. The idea was to kind of create awareness and create this kind of feeling of entitlement to the to the people. Of you know, like I was there and I helped support this craft beer movement, and I was I was at the ground. Um, when, when they needed the help to get up and going. So we really wanted to kind of bring that um, element of personality to it and just some kind of unique and make people feel more involved and get people more involved into the craft beer community as opposed to kind of just sitting back and, and watching. So it wasn't so much for us to pay for the tax. You're right, that is a cost of business. It's more of us to kind of engage people into that community.
0: Okay, and uh, so I mean, we, we were talking off air about uh, Mazen Hadjar had some fairly strong views about um, tap contracts and breweries that buy taps. Um, That's created quite a bit of discussion. And the, the the flip side that always comes through when we talk about tap contracts is some of the benefits um, to, to venues. And you know, and, and I've had some big debates over the years with the big brewers who say, well, you know. Um, we, we pay to upgrade a uh, hotel's tap lines, which means that the beer quality is, is better. Um, and, and that's one of the things that you talked about um, in, in your possible campaign. But then you know, a, a lot of the breweries that um, take uh, contracts, uh, tap contracts, for example, also maintain those um, you know, as an ongoing thing to make sure that the lines are clean, they're well uh, you know that they're well cared for to make sure that the beer that's pouring doesn't just start good but you know comes out of the the end of the tap good um how are you how are you guys going to um given that you're crowdsourcing the cost of the taps themselves are are you going to be crowdsourcing the maintenance of the taps or you know how are you going to manage those
2: no absolutely um from the maintenance side of things the maintenance aspect we'll be looking after that ourselves um and we're kind of doing things to make sure the freshest beer is always on tap, so we're always cold refrigerating, we're always cold storing, everything's going to be cold shipped. Um, so we kind of, we like getting involved in that kind of beer geek stuff, and we're pretty, pretty keen to make sure our taps are always pouring the freshest beer, so we'll just make sure as a cost of business, as you said before, that we maintain them and keep their upkeep.
0: A, a lot of venues in Brisbane, are where I'm from, and Pete's in Melbourne, but um, there's one in particularly in uh, Brisbane that has opened up over the last uh, 18 months that has eight taps and it sold half of them to Line and then kept the other half free. So you know they, they get to choose um, Little Creatures IPA, Rogers, uh, you know the um, White Rabbit range, which is you know, some some great beers. But then the other four taps are constantly rotating through you know the, the best beers that they can get. Is is that a model that you considered as well?
2: It wasn't really a model that we considered. Um, I guess our whole premise and the whole idea for us was for the little guy. Um, You know, you can go, there are some great craft beers produced by these big companies. We're absolutely not knocking them at all. But um, for us, we wanted to give the smaller guys a chance. And that's why we wanted our taps to be completely open. Um, So we could just continue bringing in, in these smaller producers and kind of giving the little guy a go. The, these big other craft beers are readily available in a lot of other venues. Um, so we feel we just wanted to do something a bit different.
0: Now, uh, for anyone that pledges, uh, I'm just sort of scrolling through the Possible campaign, and if anyone is interested, uh, and you, you've done very well, you've obviously resonated, um, you're looking at raising 15000 and you've already raised 11241 So, you know, things are obviously going fairly well. You've got 57 people uh, supporting you. Um, but amongst the rewards that people can get, uh, you know, for example, if they pay $50, um, they can uh, get a, a mismatch of going, making a limited release brew, especially for um, and with you, um, and so people obviously get the pleasure of having given you or supported your campaign, but they'll also get a... Uh, um a, a bottle of this limited release beer um for somebody who does a 90 reward um they'll be jumping on a bus to the prancing pony um I, I i take it that these breweries are donating these as you know in in support of you guys
2: yeah absolutely so that kind of collaboration uh between the breweries has been donated by them in support for for this campaign just to keep our taps open so they have been really supportive um and they're all just excited at the idea of a bar where there's going to be these constant beers coming through. It gives them an opportunity to look at other beers and try the beers as well, so they were all very supportive.
0: I I take it they'll also be getting their beers on tap at some stage?
2: They'll come through our rotation, yeah. We've got a big list of beers we want to get through, and there's over like 300 craft breweries in Australia now, so we'd like to get as many of them through our taps as possible.
0: And I guess that's the other thing that uh, comes through. You know, whilst, as a beer geek or you know, as a consumer, we love um, seeing all of the shiny new things on taps and seeing a constant um, tap rotation. When it, it, it's interesting that the number of guys who have jumped from the serving side of the bar who are suddenly craft beer reps pushing, uh, you know, or, or repping um, for some of the small craft breweries, um, and when they're when they're running the bar or selecting the taps constantly talking about, you know, getting something new in because that's what the consumer wants. As soon as they're repping for a brewery, you know, they complain about they can never get a permanent tap and, you know, it, it's such hard graft, you know, getting a tap and then having you know, losing it straight away to the next shiny thing. Do you think, you know, with, with, with breweries needing to get volume up um, and consistency so they can make planning, you know, consistency of uh, sales to make planning, Do do you think that there is a detriment to the ongoing growth of the craft breweries that we just constantly turn over taps?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting one. It'll really depend, I guess, on the beers and things. We're going to do um, a system of having two tap battles um, and then the more popular tap will then get to stay on for another month and then maybe battle a different tap. Um, And they'll have these kind of consumer-based um interactions where they will be able to keep some of their favorite beers on in in the season um just to kind of not regulate that but just to ensure people are getting their favorite beers all the time but it'll also give you know smaller breweries that didn't have a chance to get on anywhere maybe a chance to get on and then they'll get known and then maybe people go pick up their beers in a bottle shop and buy them elsewhere because they've actually had a chance to try them and and love the beer themselves, so I think just kind of that awareness for a lot of these brands is going to be um, pretty valuable as well.
1: Oliver, you guys are planning on having, I think it's 16 taps. Is there going to be, or are you hoping to have, uh, I guess a South Australian focus for for you know, a percentage of those taps? We haven't divvied
2: up the taps as percent and the focus. We're probably more going to do them on style. Um, we'd love to get. The SA craft beers through, and we'll always make sure there is some SA SA craft beers on. But we're we're just interested in in the smaller batch production beers, majority from Australia. Um, but we'll also try and get some special international stuff through also.
0: Did just reading through the media release, um, you, it, and it, 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 you, I, I hear you keep talking about the the small guys and that it's a fight against the big guys. As craft beer has grown, and some of the small startups have, you know, gotten a substantial size, we're starting to see um, a number of the craft breweries, you know, buying taps as well. A couple of the the, the small breweries buying taps, um, and and that was the focus of Mazen Hajjar's comments um, that you know it, it, they they shouldn't be doing it either. Um, if if a small brewery came to you and said, look, you know, we'll give you a thousand dollars or three thousand dollars in return to you know pouring our beer. Through one of your sixteen taps a year, is that something you would consider?
2: We've actually been approached by a couple of craft breweries trying to engage these same these same tactics and have offered us um, offered us money for for the tap space and have said, you know, we've got twelve beers, we're more than happy to constantly rotate them through, but we we have turned around and said no and stuck to our guns on that. Even even to the little guys, we've told them that. Their beers are great, and we're going to have their beers come through, but we're not uh, we're not looking to to sell our taps out to anyone, even if they are a small craft brewery.
0: If if a brewery came along and didn't say, look, we'll give you you know five grand or three grand for the tap in returning for for our pouring our beer, but you know we'll give you a ten plus one keg deal, where if you buy ten kegs, we'll give you the eleventh free. Is that something you would, that you would do?
2: Um, at the moment, it's not something we are considering doing, um, mostly because we want to keep all our kegs cold stored. We just don't have the room to store 11 11, 11 kegs there at once, or you know, on the 11th keg we get one free, but that's not really um, what we're aiming to do. Once you have 11 kegs of something, you're going to be pouring that for quite a while, and it essentially locks out a tap in the same manner as if they were to purchase it. So we try and keep it to um, limited amounts of kegs of things too.
0: Yeah, and and and, and I, I guess that was the, uh, the the thrust of the question because a lot of venues that you know, say that we've got open taps, um, you know, we'll, we'll still take a ten plus one deal, and as you point out, you know, that means that the, the tap is in all effect uh, locked up anyway, um, and uh, often the value is the same. So it, it, it's yet a lot of people who in discussing the whole idea of um, tap contracts don't. You know, just think of it as being an upfront payment where some of these other practices are a little bit the same. Um, so, and how can, you know, what sort of benefits will people who uh, take the TAPS get over and above the, um, you know, the the, the reward? Um, and there's some pretty uh, generous rewards um, for anyone who contribute. Actually, you've, you've had quite a number. All of the $750 reward ones are gone already, so a couple of people have uh, stepped in. Um, but over and above the rewards that you get from the brewers um, and the uh, good feeling of knowing that there are independent taps in your venue, what else um, will people who have sponsored uh, your possible campaign get?
2: As in um, for material rewards or as in for... Yeah,
0: Yeah, is it just feeling good every time they go in to see, you know, have that... Um, Benefit? You know, will, will they get an ongoing discount from the, the beers that they're pouring, seeing that they're a, you know, they, if, they've are they got a share in the taps?
2: Yeah, if they've purchased a tap or sponsored a tap solely, they'll get a discount on whatever's pouring from that tap. I think there's only one tap available to sponsor still also. Um, they've gone really quickly, so you get an ongoing discount from what you pour. You also get to just flick in your, your comments and have your say of what you'd like to see come on. We'd love to give people... Rain to pick what beers they wanted, but you know, then you run the risk of of people just picking picking things that go against our premise. So we've suggested that people to put in their suggestions and say what they'd like to see pour. Uh, we'd also love everyone to come in and and make themselves known. You know, be like, oh, I, I pitched in, I pitched into the possible. It doesn't matter how much, how little, how big, how small, but as long as they've just um, put in and just make themselves known, we'd love to treat them like family when they get in there, part of part of the team and part of what make or what will hopefully make NOLA so great. So we just love everyone to make themselves known and come in so we can treat them like one of our own.
0: Excellent. Well, the campaign's still got another 28 days to go. When do you, and well, So that, that you've only been going for a couple of weeks um, already and you're well on your way to getting your campaign. When's the venue going to open?
2: It looks like we're going to open the end of October to the start of November.
1: Just for those who are not familiar with the city, the beautiful city of Adelaide, uh, whereabouts, uh, we're, we're in Rundle Street. Most people will probably know the Rundle Mall. Whereabouts, yeah, right.
2: whereabouts so we're exactly the, are we? Yeah, we're in the east end of the city, um, just near the parklands there. Um, we're actually parallel to Rundle Street. Our primary entrance is going to be off Barden Avenue. So there's a couple of all, other little cool spots in around there and some good restaurants and things. So, yeah, we're going to slot into a nice little... Nice little part of the
1: city there. Do you see yourself as being of, a, 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 I guess, attraction to the corporate sort of, you know, perhaps the after-work crowd, or the, you know, the celebration crowd, or uh, or a, a destination craft venue for for Adelaide uh, beer lovers from all around?
2: Yeah, well, I think it's going to be a bit of both. Um, with our sit out and things, it is quite slick um, and quite nice as well. Uh, so I think that is gonna draw some of the corporates in that just wanna try new beers. You know, I've been been one of the one of the people dragged along with my ten mates that all wanna go and drink drink, you know, the same beers at at, at the big pubs. so I'd just like to, you know, be able to drag the other nine to something a bit different. Um so I think we're gonna be able to do that as well.
1: It also seems safe to say that you're not gonna uh I guess take that path of least resistance and have the token uh, you know, domestic import or a premium uh, mainstream beer tap for those who don't get craft beer. It sounds like that that's not going to be the case.
2: No, that that won't be the case. Um, we'll have a pretty
1: extensive bottle
2: range of beer, but, um, you know, if we're going importing in internationally international, we're going to try and get something a bit funky, a bit fun. Um, but, you know, craft beer lovers have always wanted to get their hands on, so we're going to try and bring some of that stuff in. But your big token international brands will probably try to be clear of.
0: And how about food? Uh, what sort of food are we going to be seeing?
2: Yeah, so we're going to do a bit of the um, Creole cuisine, which is the cuisine of New Orleans, a bit of that Cajun and Creole and um, kind of homely, hearty meals like your gumbo, your jambalaya, your po'boys, um, just small kind of plates to share between friends.
0: My one experience in uh, New Orleans was about 20 years ago, and it's just stuck with me. It was a a bar down near the river that just had oysters. Uh, The oysters were about a dollar an oyster, and then you'd grab a big tray of oysters and sit out at the front. They had crackers and a whole range of different sauces, so you'd make your own dipping sauce and drink beer and eat oysters. And uh, If I was going to open a New Orleans venue, I think I'd be trying to replicate that if... uh, can, can you offer anything along those lines, do you think?
2: Um, we're still talking with the chef about what the menu will be exactly, but you know, seafood and the crustacean is a really big part of the New Orleans cuisine, so we'd love to see that see that coming through the menu, which will be rotating much like our beer tanks.
0: Wonderful. Oliver, you know, good luck uh, getting over. How are things going? Are they progressing well? You haven't had any town planning uh, issues or hold ups?
2: No, nah, at the moment it's all going pretty pretty steadily forwards. We are still still Finalising our planning and development approvals and things like that. But, um, yeah, everything's everything's looking set to continue on track. So, yeah, pretty exciting time.
0: Well, I hope it uh, continues to go smoothly. We look forward to uh, having a beer down in uh, Knoll uh, towards the end of the year. Beautiful. Thanks a lot for your time, guys. Thanks very much for taking the time. And, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully uh, talk to you again once you're open to see how it's all going. Beautiful. Good to chat to you. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> There we go, Prof. Wait, did, did, uh, I, I'm always conscious um, in, in those sorts of things with, with the, the the craft beer, you know, can, can sometimes be a bit of a circle jerk where everything is awesome and everybody's sort of, uh, you know, reaching around to stroke the uh, back of the person, <laughs> the, uh, you know, scratch the back of the person behind them and it's all air kisses and loveliness. Um, you know, the, the, I, I had some questions um, that they, you know, was I a little bit hard on Oliver, or did that come out? no, across no, no, no. Just I think being... no
1: I, I think it's fair to say that we just just based on the, the you know the black and white um, media release, uh, looking at that and, and and trying to read between the lines, and I guess wanting to assume that there's a bit of you know to that it's fair to be a bit cynical. Um, but I think having spoken to Oliver, I think it's just look it's a great way of raising a bit of extra cash and getting that connection with as, as he calls it, you know the, the their community which i think in adelaide is is not a bad thing to do i think it's important to engage and i think it's important to give them a reason to come to that bar having your name on a tap or having your um i guess good feelings transferred into a beer that you're drinking is not a bad thing um and being and the advantage of, of that being i guess able to keep the taps freer is is a bonus
0: yeah and and look i mean there are a whole lot of questions i mean I, that just spring to mind. I mean, we we see it a lot. I mean, I, I asked Stew uh, Stu from the Eastie Boys some pretty tough questions when they went crowd uh you know funding for their brewery expansion. And and Stu's a great mate of mine, and uh so you know it was just asking these questions because I think at the moment there is a bit of a you know a, a gold mine mentality, or you know, there's gold in them they're Hills mentality that if I come up with a good idea, other people will pay for it. Um that You know, people are mining the enthusiasm of people who love craft beer and not necessarily always for the uh, purest of motives. Um, The the, the flip side is, you know, as people point out, well, you know, if it doesn't resonate with people, they're not going to yeah you they know, they're not going to reach their target and that's what we saw with the beer bud campaign that just went nowhere um this this one's obviously resonated but you know it, it was a it was a good opportunity to ask a whole lot of questions about the ins and outs of contracts because everyone knows about the where you go in and pay 5 grand up front to uh you know buy a tap or 3 grand to to buy a tap for 12 months um and as as I asked Oliver um you know would you do a 10 plus 1 deal and you know he pointed because yeah, if you're selling ten kegs and getting one free, um, that the brewery is getting you know three thousand dollars worth of yep. sales. It's a and locking up
1: a, a tap without actually having to physically put their name on it to say oh, I have bought that.
0: Mm. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, look, I, I've written some very strident anti-contract pieces, you know, four or five years ago, um, and have mellowed quite a bit on the whole tap contract yeah. thing. Um, because, and, and it was really when I sort of realized that it's not just a black and white thing, um, you know, and I, I remember, you know, back, you know, five or six years ago when Murray's, um, which seems to have really fallen off the, the beer geek radar of late, but, you know, they were pushing out, um, they had some really great Corby's, and then they were, you know, always doing some interesting and highly desirable seasons, yes. um, and yet, they wouldn't give the seasonals to venues that would didn't they have didn't a support the core range yeah yeah um, throughout the year and so, you know, so is,
1: it, that well, a, yeah, is that a yeah is a is um is that tap contract by stealth or well
0: it I, it's, it's not a contract it, it, it's not a contract but it is a um, mutually beneficial business arrangement yes um, where you support our beers and we will support you, you know, by giving you a reason for people to come in and try these awesome beers because you've supported us. But then it got me thinking, well, you know, in, in, in the sort of you know, fifty shades of grey between, you know, no contracts and contracts, that's somewhere along the line because there there are incentives to keep our beer on tap to the exclusion of others. Um so yeah, just one yeah. It was just one of those things. So it, it was a great um, discussion to have. And uh, look, you know, it, it certainly uh, sounds to me that they passed the sniff test, and I'm really excited about you know maybe uh, we might have to make a special trip down to Adelaide, Prof, to uh, record from the NOLA bar, um at some stage because I'm very keen to see it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm um, looking forward to
0: it. Still, it doesn't get get, get me around that sort of concern uh, that that I raised about you know. How you know, with three hundred breweries all vying for turnover taps, how hard it 's going to be for the small guys to grow and get the volume they need to invest in their businesses if they don 't have certainty of taps, which is again one of the things that a lot of the small guys say um, once once they start getting to the size that they can put in taps um, you know when, when you 've got a payroll of you know five ten fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a week um, you know you, you need to have a certain guarantee of your cash flow in order to, um, you know, make projections. Um, that's very hard to do when every tap you've got is a, uh, you know, rotating tap. So anyway, that that's a, a discussion to be had another day. Um, yeah, but uh, no, I thought it was very interesting. But Prof, uh, next guest, um, uh, you know, look, I know that we don't play favorites and there are so many you know brewers and beer people that we just you know adore, mm. but you know Scotty Hargraves has got to be, you know,
1: in a, in a world of nice blokes, he he stands head and shoulders, uh, exactly. with a lot of other blokes. But it, yeah, it's 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 um it's unusual to have. We live in a, a work in a world where, it, it, it tends to attract nice people generally, you know good good blokes, um, but to have somebody that's yeah, a, a good bloke, I guess I <laughs> we're lucky.
0: Yeah, he's just a bloke I always love to sit with. He's a genuinely humble, um, you know, fascinating guy. And uh, well, look, rather than us uh, tell you about him, uh, how about you listen from the man himself, uh, Scotty Hargraves, the head brewer of Bolter Brewing. All
3: righty, thank you, Matt. Good to be here. G'day, Prof. How are you, mate?
0: Yeah, I'm good, mate. It's good to have you on. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Now, Scotty, oh, mate, there, there's a lot of things we can talk about, but I guess the, uh, you know, the, the, the first thing is uh, probably set a little bit of the scene about, you know, who Scotty Hargrave is, um, and uh, your, you know, path to becoming a, a, a brewer for a soon-to-be-opened uh, Gold Coast brewery. Um, yeah,
3: okay. Former concreter. I've been described as a concreter going bad actually, since, uh, <laughs> since this whole brewing case has started, but um, yeah, has. Uh, a long term interest in in beer, in interesting beer, German beers, Belgian beers, whatever Australian craft beers I could get sort of started around 2000 and it dawned on me about 2006 to actually try and learn a bit about beer so I joined the Canberra Brewers Uh, got to know Richard Watkins who was at the time head brewer at um, the Wigan Pen Um, sort of rose up through the ranks I guess a bit at the Canberra Brewers and started winning medals and competitions and all that sort of stuff, and um, uh, um, it sort of slowly emerged that it might actually be a possible career change. So um, uh, I think it was around May, June 2008, there was a bunch of sort of um, you know, um, craft brewery sort of brewing job sort of pop-up on the, on the scene, and um, I got asked to go to three of them in three job interviews in the space of a couple of weeks and ended up on the sunny coast, uh, where I first met you, Matt. Brewed um, there for a year. Uh, had a bit of luck at the AIBA, uh, the Beer Awards in 2009. And then um, I'd been there about 12 months and then got asked to join Stone and Wood as their first full time employee. And uh, jumped in there sort of very early in the Stone and Wood story and um, got amongst it and um, helped uh, get. Uh, I suppose, begin the rise of Pacific Ale, if you like, back in the days when it was still draft ale. And uh, obviously the lager and then uh, Jasper and Garden Ale and all the stone beers and the first few mash collectives and all that sort of stuff. Went across after four years of very, very long days and nights and whatnot. Went across over to the um, Byron Bay Brewing Company for about 18 months and... um, then, uh yeah, fake pain calling again and and got asked to be involved with Bolter. and here we are building a very beautiful corben
0: we 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 might get to that, but just going back to i, I know that we 've spoken a couple of times, you mentioned that we met when you were when I first interviewed you when you were up at the sunny coast brewery, and I remember you you were accounting the first time that you i, I think you went to uh, the Wigan Pen for a how to brew demonstration, and uh you yeah, you right. talked about walking in. And just smelling that mashing process and uh, it, it was something that stuck with me because I from memory, you described it as um, you, you just sort of felt like you'd come home when, when you smelt that smell of brewing.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was very, um, uh, so it was uh, the owner, Lachlan McComish, was, uh, was running like these adult education courses on the history of beer. And as part of that, you know, he went through the origins of beer and, um, you know, through the Fertile present in the Middle East and how sort of beer may well have emerged out of there and all sorts of stuff. And then, um, yeah, then eventually he grabbed uh, half a kilo or a kilo of, uh, of cracked malt he'd grabbed out of Richard's store and um, um, boiled a jug and, and basically mixed it together in a little um, lunchbox sort of esky thing. And yeah, as soon as I smelled it, it was just so familiar. So it was really like it just pushed all my buttons. I think it was just really primal and, but you know, and I'd never been anywhere near brewing before that, apart from a sort of half assed kid attempt, like everyone does with the mixing the hot water and the goo but um yeah, you yeah, know, it was just somehow really familiar, so I don't know whether there's a some sort of genetic thing involved in that, but um it it just I think it just changed my brain chemistry somehow, and I can remember lying in bed the next morning thinking, do I do?" I, can I even dare to dream that I might actually do this for a living one day? And, uh, yeah, you know, sort of, uh, Lockie had said at the time, he said, well, if you, you know, if you wanted to be a brewer or anything, then you've got to, you know, you can do it without having to go to university. Um, you know, I had a concrete business and was a family to support at the time, so I wasn't really able to go and become a student for a few years. And uh, he said, if you've got enough passion and drive and you're good enough, and you know, you certainly can do it, but... Uh, go get your home brewing in order. And I hadn't even, um, uh, you know, I hadn't really brewed any beer before then. So I joined the Canberra Brewers and got to know some great people there and got to learn how to sort of make all-grain beer on, you know, on, uh, pre-loved and recycled equipment, upcycled, if you like. And, um, uh, yeah, went from there, but it's never never left me, you know, that, that the smell of when you mash in, there's just something about it that's yeah I don't know I think it's central to who i am and and probably every other brewer that you speak to you know people that are involved in beer like it's it's uh it's more than something you love so I think it's it's a calling sometimes sometimes you just um compelled to do it I think that's what's always been for me
0: well, so <laughs> That, that's much more like, uh, yeah, the, the way I recall you describing it uh, when, when we first spoke, which is, you know, it, it really is something that's been very visceral with you. But at the same time, as you've gone through your career, um, you know, you, you were at the sunny coast for a little while, which isn't the easiest brew house to, to brew in. And you still, uh, you know, took their, their, their mid-strength um, summer ale to an AIBA trophy. You were, I think, half a point off. Uh, knocking uh, Weinstefan Dunkel off with uh, the, the Sunny Coast Dunkel when you were there you know, it, yeah. it, it, it's not just the artistry of the the, the brewing you uh, you know you, you seem to really nail that quality and that you know replicability um, that is inherent in uh, you know good brewing
3: yeah yeah I think it might uh, um, I think you know a lot of people sort of get swept up and I do too with the romance of mashing in you know that smell and you know that sort of there's that thing, I suppose, you know, when you're mashing in the morning and it's, you've got a cup of coffee and it's nice and early and you've probably got the place to yourself and that's all very romantic and, you know, endless possibilities of what can happen during the day but unless you sort of know how to fix pumps and you know, why your equipment works the way it does and the impact it has on its beer, you're sort of missing parts of the puzzle I think um, I think there's, there's plenty of people out there who sort of probably get maybe the science of beer and aren't that artistic, or you get people who are very creative and artistic who won't necessarily have that sort of mechanical, scientific, sort of technical side of it as well. And I think you really, to really get anywhere and to be able to keep doing it and feed your family doing it, you sort of need to have that as, you know, just purely from a brewing on the the brew floor, you have to have those parts of it together, let alone the fact that you're running a business as well, so... Um, you know, I think that's I think that's part of it. You're right. The sunny taste is really, um, yeah. It's it's a pretty tough brew house. It's it's not it's medieval nearly, <laughs> I suppose, compared to you know the, the gear that I've used since. But you know, all power to Greg, and I hope he's still you know pumping away up there. Um, but I think what that sort of taught me was that um, if you've got your if you've got you know your your techniques and your understanding of brewing and and that love and passion can still be burning as strongly at the end of a fourteen or fifteen hour day with this really tough sort of brew house then, you know, you're you're on your way to getting things the way, you know, the way that you envisage them and, and uh, you know, can keep it all, all running and and headed, you know, in the right direction, I suppose. But um and, and that's where home brewing comes in, I think. The fact that I'd built when I was home brewing I'd sort of, in my mind every time I made a beer, I, I sort of pretended that, you know, at the end of the day, would someone pay eight or nine bucks a pint for this? You know, not just, wow, I'm making cheap beer and I'll drink it all. You know, there was, I think I was much more disciplined in that. And then having run my own concrete business with all sorts of, you know, bobcats and trucks and all sorts of mechanical bits and pieces and complexities, when you that, that sort of stuff applies very well to brewing. I'm sure there's plenty of other brewers out there that's come from other disciplines or other career paths. And it's quite often to the sum of what you've done before you were a brewer that can help maybe help you along the way and maybe partly define what sort of brewer you are, I guess. So.
0: But just hearing the, uh, you know, just the passion for what you do and your voice, it's probably a really nice segue into your current assignment, and uh, that's Brewing for Bolter. And uh, for those who don't know where the name Bolter comes from, it, I understand it comes from the Urban Dictionary, uh, which is, Bolter means to dance without particular skill or grace, but with extreme joy. Um, you, you certainly brew with extreme joy. I, I, I think you, you obviously do it with uh, quite a bit of skill or grace as well. Tell us a little bit about the, um, the, the new brewery.
3: Yeah. Okay. So we've got a. It's roughly about, I think, about 700 square metre um, shedding in, in Um Very beautiful part of the very southern tip of the Gold Coast. It probably should be annexed by New South Wales. Actually. <laughs> but
0: no, anyway. no. We, we want to drag the, uh, the the border down from Queensland <laughs> down to Byron Bay. <laughs>
3: Fair enough. I just wish there was a train line, you know. It'd be very hot for Friday night, maybe. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so we've got a uh, we've got a 35 hectolitre DME uh, brew house uh, on order. Um, it's been fabricated right now that we're hoping should be in the country at sort of the end of October, start of November. Um, we're at the moment, we've had lots of bricklaying happening, lots of copper pipe go up the walls and on the roof. Um, we've got our boiler being produced and waiting on glycol and probably start putting up glycol stuff next week. We've had concrete floors, uh, as we've mentioned, being poured in the last
0: few days. Uh, new facade yeah, on Did, the did you uh, put on the, the, the gumboots and give them a hand? Given your yeah, own background in, uh, in concrete? Yeah,
3: I brought, <laughs> I brought them with me. I, I brought them with me, but I actually... I actually, uh, I did pick up a trowel and do a bit of edging. Uh, but, you know, again, like, uh, I, know, I know what it's like to be a tradesman or a craftsman. And, you know, you don't, you know, when you, I didn't want to tread on anyone else's toes. I didn't want to make, um, you know, be rude or anything. So give me that, I'll show you how it's done. So, <laughs>
0: I'm,
3: I'm not quite that pathetic. <laughs> I hope. How, but, how, so.
0: how did they go, though, just quietly? They're, they're very unlikely to be listening. Did they do a good job?
3: Oh, they did, mate. They were, they were great because they knew that I was standing there not just as the head brewer but also as a former concreter. <laughs> I didn't actually have to get in there. I you know, just sort of hovered. I hovered and then backed off and then would sort of gently do a supporting hover, if you like. Just ask everyone if they're OK. <laughs> you
1: <know? laughs> no, mate, you realise there's a fair okay. chance they're going to pay you back if, if one or two of them are home brewers. Then when okay. the uh, when the brewery's set up, they're going to come back and go, yeah, remember how you did those edges? Yeah, <laughs>
3: like brew, give us the brew house. Well, the idea is that the edge I did is going to be under a brick wall anyway, so I was sort of, uh, I was, uh, it was, a, it was a given for me, mate. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to lose out anyway, so it was all pretty good. But no, we're we're ticking along. We've also got a, um, a five hundred litre pilot system um, that we're we're getting from Spark Engineering. So uh, Julian and Neil. Um, I met up with those guys uh, down at um, the conference, the craft, craft beer conference down in, uh, in May in Melbourne. And then, um, yeah, we struck up a deal. So uh, we're going to have a 500-litre pilot system here as well. We've got a... Um, we'll have a 12-tap uh, tap room, tasting room, I suppose, at the front of our building where we're, we're putting in a lot of effort to make it look good and be... Uh, you know, a, a nice place for people to come and, and check out a couple of beers and learn a bit about our beers and, and Bolter in general and what we're doing. And, you know, another another sort of family-friendly place for the southern Gold Coast. You know, it's, it's part of the sort of uptake of craft beer down here, which, you know, I'm really pleased to see. You know, I've um, caught up with the, the Black Ops boys the other day and we had a beer over at uh, Leicester and Earl, I think it was. And it was just great. I'd never been here before, so it's happening. You know, it's... it's uh it's exciting times. I actually feel like a bit of a bludger, actually, because you know, I don't really, I don't really get on the on the treadmill on the bike. I suppose until the pots and pans show up, and then, then um, then it'll be mayhem for me personally. But you know, you've got to start at the start.
0: Now we've glossed, glossed over a little bit to do with the brewery. I mean, you've you've talked about we, uh, you know, that it's not you uh, are the only one that's uh, involved in the brewery. The, the the guys that you're working with aren't exactly no names, are they?
3: No, no, no. That's that's true. So, so one of them is now famous for punching wildlife, which you know, <laughs> uh, which, you know, you know that, that won't hurt you. I'm sure you can imagine the amount of text messages, let alone those guys have all had, but but that I've had about. Surely you've started brewing a you know great white shark beer or shark,
0: punch shark puncher. Shark puncher IPA. Yes, shark puncher IPA. We reckon.
3: Rare yeah there's a there's a whole
0: bunch of suggestions out there so um we we, 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 we should say that we we're obviously talking about uh, McFanning is one of the uh sort of partners behind the brewery and uh B Durbridge. um yep uh, Joel, who, who joel else? parkinson joel parkinson and josh kerr josh uh, kerr so uh, four four uh, you know top ten international surfers uh behind it um,
3: yeah absolutely Absolutely. Can you tell us uh, how
0: they got to be involved um, in, in brewing? What was what was their background?
3: Well, I think... So what happened was it was... Um, Bede uh, approached Mick and Joel, the other boys, apparently in Hawaii last year. Um, you know, the backdrops of these guys is always amazing locations. Like Tahiti or Hawaii or France or J-Bay or, you know... <laughs> so... Um, yeah, nothing mundane with those guys, really. But Bede... Um, approached Mick and the other boys and said you know, um, you know thinking ahead to life after surf, and um, I, I like you know I like um, I like craft beer I'm starting to really get into this thing um, maybe we should look at starting a brewery and uh, our, our marketing director sterling Howland um, who was at Billabong for a long long time and very very clever man um, he was uh, approached by the boys saying hey Stirls, we're looking at starting a brewery, and, and Sterling had, you know, is well down the track on his own sort of craft beer journey, and said, "Well, funny you should mention that." Uh, that then dragged in uh, Anthony McDonald, who's our operations slash general manager, who's, uh, you know, uh, had a lot of experience, uh, you know, staging massive events for Red Bull, and you know, spent a lot of time in uh, in the corporate world, but also, uh, you know, in um, food and beverage industry, he's got, he owns his own cafe in Sydney still um, and so they had a call there, a guy called Sean Ronan over in San Diego, who's Josh's neighbour I think um, he's uh, he's he's another sort of um, uh, a guy, you know, a very important sort of guy uh, in this puzzle initially, a sort of team builder sort of guy I suppose trying to, to build this crack team together to, to get there, I'll say that, like, um, together and um, see if we can get this thing happening. And then, so these were the guys who sort of founded Bolter. And the first thing, once they'd sort of defined what they were sort of looking to do, was, was to uh, find a brewer. And luckily for me, that ended up being me, I guess.
0: And I, I should say, I think uh, Bede was involved in a San Diego brewery called St. Archer um, that. Yeah, you know, he he had a small share in, and there are some similarities between what you guys are doing at Bolter and uh, uh, the the Sinatra Brewery, which from from memory launched uh, you know some time ago as a yeah uh, you know, what they call a lifestyle brewery. They have it, they've stayed a little bit out of this whole you know what is craft beer thing, and they're just making great beer and pitching it you know as a, a something that's part of a a lifestyle that when I read about it was you know. That there was a bit of sneering about, you know, something being called a lifestyle brewery. Um, but then when you read the reviews online, you find very few bad reviews for the beer. And it's almost, uh, you know, grudging from some serious beer writers saying, oh, look, you know, th- th- this isn't a bad IPA or, you know, so it's not a bad pale ale. In fact, yeah. you know, it's better than most, where they almost don't want to like the beer, but it's been uh, making some, you know, has really been kicking some goals on, on the beer scene. Is that what you're going to sort of, bring in, uh, you know, Data Currumbin there?
3: Well, I don't... I think a lot of people thought initially that there was, uh, like, some sort of serious connection between Bolter and St Archer, and that's not really the case. Um, I think it was, yeah, Speed or Josh uh, had a... you know, has a small stake in St Archer, and I think, I think some people were alarmed that it was going to be importing you know, the whole St. Archer thing, this was, Bolta was going to basically be St. Archer on the Gold Coast. It really couldn't be sort of further from the truth. We really aren't going to have any association with those guys at all. Um, As for the lifestyle thing, I suppose, I guess in a way, I know maybe we're getting to the end of craft beer, being called craft beer and, and as we all mature a bit, it just becomes better beer or smaller beer or you know, some some other name for it. So, um, you know, as it's, it's a lifestyle thing, well, you know, I think beer, good beer should be part of any healthy lifestyle, shouldn't <laughs> so, it? But we won't, like, we're not going to have, really, you know, we're not going to have surfboards hanging off the wall and that sort of stuff. You know, the boys, uh, when they approach me, one thing I said to them straight up was that, well, you know, this, if, um, you know, I obviously take what I do um, very, I have a lot of fun, you know, being a brewer, then i certainly take the beer itself, you know, and, and what I do, you know, quite seriously, and that if 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 this was just going to be some sort of cynical ploy by some well-known sports people with a bit of money to parachute into this latest craft beer trend, then I wasn't interested in that, because that's, that's the antithesis of what craft beer really is and and who I am, but, and you know, um, these guys sort of, you know, they... they uh, Won me over pretty quickly, and I realised that no, they're, they're serious, and um, you know we want to be a real, uh, a real brewery. Um, you know, I want to make a great beer for us. We want to have a great brand. We want to be, you know, a very strong part of the community. It always, you know, I I just pummeled the guys early on, saying that you know this, what we do here is about respect. You know, we we respect where we are in the community. We respect. Our traditions, we respect our responsibilities. You know, um, just you know, we want to be good neighbours. We want to do the right thing. The last thing you know that we want to be seen is just some cynical ploy to cash in on you know the latest potential cash cow or latest trend. So, you know, it's it's this this business is about beer. It's it's more than anything else. It's not about surfboards or being associated with. Skateboarding or anything like you know, there's a bit of that St. Archer thing where they've got a whole bunch of different people, or owners who are also, you know, as you know, you know, quite high profile. I don't actually know any of them, but in the states they're fairly well known. Um, but this thing is, yeah, it doesn't have that American largesse about it. I suppose it's more of a um, life after surfing for the guys, and they wanted they wanted people who they trusted and and. You know the right people in the right jobs and with the right passions and skills, I suppose, and and the right personalities. You know, uh, a big part of the Bolter hiring uh, philosophy will be, can you have a beer with someone?
1: So. <laughs> Scotty, did the did the boys yeah. ha- come in with a I guess a portfolio in mind, or did they leave the style of the beers or the the look of the beers up to you, or, was, or is there a collaboration sort of thing going on?
3: Oh, well, it's very much, it's it's really quite flattering when someone comes up to you and goes, what sort of beers would you like to make? What sort of brewing gear are you happy with? What are you comfortable with? And where in this bloody big building do you want to put it? You know, so that was pretty hard for me to say no to at the end of the day. So, um, you know, I'm I'm here because um, I I guess, you know, the guys respected my... um, my, hist- my history, my career as a brewer, my, my take on brewing, my philosophies and my passion, all of that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I've got a lot of responsibility there as to driving uh, the beers and what they'll be and, uh, you know, wh- what what sort of direction we're going to have with that sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm pretty, pretty fortunate to have a, a pretty open... Um, um, Open page as to what we're going to brew, but having you know, having said that, I'm I'll also know well enough that you know we're not going to do a Russian Imperial Stout start, start as the first beer or something like that. You know, there's a, there's, there's a reality to, to having a business as well. So, but you know, I think um, I, I I just look forward to it evolving. You know, um, I always like beers to have personalities, um, and a big you know, a big thing for me has always been getting that balance right between a, a really interesting beer that's, that there's something magical about it and, and drinkability that, you know, that you can, you can have a beer that you really enjoy that is interesting and takes you somewhere without it having to be a sort of uh, a trinket or, you know, something that sits up on the shelf that you can only really sit, you know, once or twice at the right sort of dinner party setting or, uh, you know, that you have to sell her or, or that has to be really um, elitist, you know. But we don't want that. But also, I'm not going to make, you know, I'm not going to make corona, obviously. Despite people may, you know, I'm sure there's people that probably think surf is involved, right, we're just going to try and knock off corona. Again, that couldn't be further from the truth. We have no interest in doing that. We're, we're corona you
1: know, has a nice ring to it, though. Sorry you could have, you know, like a pale lager and call it carumba.
0: <laughs>
3: that sounds more like a rum,
0: don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> can Can you give us any idea of what you're working towards, uh, Scotty?
3: Um, yeah, you know, there's a there's a bunch of things I'm uh, playing around with, but um, this whole take on um, sort of XPA and and session IPA sort of thing is interesting I've seen a lot that sort of you know just seem to be there's you know how there's that whole thing at times of just having beers that are way out of balance just because you've got to have more you know um, I think that's the hard part one of the really difficult things in beer is having um, balance interest and balance I keep coming back to where you can have you know ingredients that that really shine and just take your breath away when you get them right without having to um, bash you over the head with just all hops or just all alcohol or just all yeast character, you know. Um, so um, I'm playing around with Saison's. I'm playing around with, you know, obviously different different takes on IPAs, um, red ales, brown ales, ambers. Uh, Pilsner's always something that sort of interested me Um to be able to really get one right and get one right with the right hop character. Um, you know, we, we probably, we're not going to start with a, uh, you know, a 4% sort of, you know, gateway beer, I don't think. I've said to the guys, you know, early on that I'm much more interested in we just, we draw a line in the sand and say, well, this is, this is our beers and, you know, we this is who we are, this is what we stand for, you know. Uh, that's initially what we're we're after. So it'll be all over the place and particularly having this little this little pilot brew house, you know. I, I look forward to, to playing around on that and then you know. Um our our taproom might even become a bit bit of a voting machine, you know, as we see um how different beers go on on the little system that some of them may graduate to the big one, you know, and uh, it's and realistically it's very, very fortunate.
1: Sorry, when when can we realistically expect to start seeing some bolter beers?
3: Oh, mate, I'd say it'd be geez, if we got beer by Christmas, we'd be we'd be doing well. So you know, realistically, you know, December, January, I think, before we're really going to have anything to um, to shout out about to say, you know, hey, we've got a beer. So you know, it's about it's about once you get the gear together, you've got a all the breweries I work on tend to have a, a, a personality, you know, and you've got to find and that's part of what I love about this game is, is is just nutting out how this stuff, how this gear works the best, how you can get the beers that you want to make, what you've got to manipulate on your brew house to get that to happen because you can't necessarily just take one beer on one system and just brew it exactly the same on the other with, without changing anything, you know, so you know, each, each brew house has its personality, so in a, in a in a roundabout way of answering your previous question, like, that's partly going to be what the brew houses, both of them throw back at, at up at me as to, you know, like, what, what the beers are going to be like. And that's a real thing. I don't know whether people actually realise that, but every time you you're on a different brew house, you make different beer. And it's, uh, you know, it's sort of, it's what you, what you do to either, uh, enhance that or compensate for that, that, that sort of defines how your beers are.
1: So, I recall a conversation over a couple of beers with you where we threw up the idea of if you had one recipe you gave it to seven different brewers on on their own equipment you'd come up with seven slightly different beers and that's kind of what you're talking about the, um, the, yeah. the capabilities, the capacity and also just like you say the idiosyncrasies of, of each individual system means that you yeah. can do things slightly differently which will come up with a different result Oh absolutely and you can
3: try and do things exactly identically On different systems, and you'll come up with different results. It's it's physics, but you could have, say, six or seven exactly, you know, um, brew systems that are exactly the same. And if you've got seven different brewers, you're going to get seven different brewing idiosyncrasies from, you know, different people's takes on what you do, how you do it, personal preference, experience, you know, uh, all of that sort of stuff. That's the magic of brewing in a lot of ways. So. You know, um, just
0: really excited to see it all, you know, slowly taking shape. So. Well, Scotty, I know that we can't, certainly can't wait till the, uh, the the brew house is in and the, the beers are flowing. Hopefully, uh, we'll get an invitation down to maybe even broadcast from the tap room. Uh, oh, that'd be a... awesome! Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we uh, might start locking away some dates for for January. Prof, when are you up uh, Brisbane again for for holidays? Uh, have you heard from uh, Matt Tapper and our mates? Are we going to Forex Island yet? I don't know. No, no I, I, I've, got to, <laughs> I, I've got to follow up with an email. But uh, it, it's funny since we, uh, we we did that podcast and mentioned that I've had a number of emails saying, "Look, if if, if you go, uh, I want suspects. to come with you." Yeah,
1: yeah, They're looking to to make up the four. I think they're they're, they're assuming that uh, you and I are going to get two mates and we're going to go and finish that
0: fucking boat. Well, with a 4X <laughs> ad, they only drink beers in four, so we would need to find two more. But uh, yeah, maybe even Scotty would want to join us. Yeah, <laughs> that
2: would be
3: interesting, <laughs> wouldn't it? I'll have a beer with you guys anyway, you
0: know that. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing. It's the company as much as it is the beer. So, Scotty, thank you very much for joining us uh, on, on Radio Brewers News. All the best getting our bolter up and running. Uh, we, we can't wait to see what you do uh, Come once you've got the brewery in and uh, coming down and uh, you know, having a look around.
3: Oh, absolutely! you would be welcome anytime from you know from now onwards. There's just nothing to see here yet except a construction site, but uh, we're getting there bit by bit, you
0: know. Oh, well, maybe we have to take a have a beer off site, but uh, we, we I'll, I'll definitely be down very soon before the brewery comes in and uh, you know see it all in progress. But uh, Scotty, thank you for Great joining stuff. us, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, get to have a beer with you very very soon. Great stuff! All right, thanks for having me, fellas. <laughs> And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There you go, Prof. Uh, mate, as I said in the uh, lead-in, very, very humble guy. Um, yep. Even you know, I, I sort of gave him that you know softball to you know, hit out of the park you did, about you how did, he you um... did. love a
1: couple of underarms just to just to warm him up. Well,
0: well, the first <laughs> one was um, you know. Tell, tell us about Ken. He does tell that beautiful story once he was prompted. You know, he then, he then he spent the next 10 minutes telling basically that story about how he just sort of, you know, it was in his DNA. And, you know, you yeah. could just hear the passion yeah. that comes through. And, uh, you know, it, it, yes, yeah, it's, it's very hard not to like the guy. And uh, it will be interesting to see um, how Bolter goes. Um, yeah, look, looking forward to, to tracking their progress. Yeah, because um, I, I know, as, as I alluded to in the interview, or didn't allude to, I came out and said it. Um, St. Uh, Archer Brewery in San Diego had people wanting to hate on them because they didn't necessarily play that, you know, craft brewery game. They would yeah. try to be something else. And you got to use
1: the word lifestyle brand, or you know,
0: Light lifestyle brand. And, and but at the end of the day, they were making very, very good beer, and even the people that wanted to hate on them had to acknowledge yeah, exactly. that. Exactly. Uh, Which
1: at the end of the day, yeah, when the pot hits the beer mat, that's that's when you know. Money talks and bullshit walks.
0: Yeah, and, and again, look, maybe that's an, another thing. Like uh, our, our first interview with the guys from Nola, it would be very easy to look at, you know, four um, you know world champion surfers seeing uh, you know, craft beer as a bit of a fad and wanting to get in and milk it. Um, but that's certainly, you know, Scotty's got a uh, you know, a, a fairly uh, rigorous bullshit detector. Yeah, and, very uh, much. You know, yeah. And he, more importantly,
1: he, they seem to be set on uh, on being here for the for the long haul, not. You know, well, uh, you know, until our fame runs out, or, or, or you know, it'll get us so far. Then we'll move on to something else. Yep. there doesn't yep. seem to be that sort of, um, you know, preconception at all. And interesting too that both um, uh, Oliver and Scotty touched on an interesting point that I picked up, which is the the tap battle or the beer, or you know, letting the beers kind of do the talking. Uh, Scotty was talking about the perhaps in the tap room they might use that as a bit of a, you know, here are ten, you know, the, these are the most popular ones. They, they might move into the core range, and Oliver was talking about having you know perhaps a, a tap versus another tap and the you know the winner stays on for another month and then takes on the next one so it's a i love that idea. interesting concept of really yeah good of, good of good. saying instead of the the next you know like you say we, we say the shiny sparkly thing or the you know the the next wonderkind um or the you know let let the public decide if the pundits really want and it's i guess going back to you know this isn't anything new um Corey Crooks, remember at the old um at the uh the Albion, had a of you know once once something becomes the once one of his uh, the original mainstream beers becomes the the number ten beer, it goes and we try something else on it.
0: Exactly, and and look, I, I love the idea of that. Just having yes of uh you know beer versus beer, and the the winner goes on, and but then they're confronted with another beer next uh, next month, and uh, you know constantly uh. You know, but,
1: yeah, fighting. And, and look, as long plants. as you know, a, a, a little bit of hospitality advice from, I guess you know, from from someone who knows, that's got to then be backed up by your staff having the knowledge to uh, explain what this beer was and that beer is to to the the unknowing, you know, the novice, if you like. So there's mm-hmm. a, it's an important sharing that uh, that knowledge with the with the punter.
0: Which is yeah, and and that's something that we might even uh, look at doing a special show on Prof because it's something that. I know in our chats in Brisbane we raised about how, as craft beer venues are opening at a you know, at a flurry, you know one opens they poach the assistant manager from one venue to be their manager, um, you know, and and vice versa, but then you've got guys that have sort of had a very short period in the industry um, now being asked
1: to train the next to, generation. Yeah, when we'll maybe have an even shorter run.
0: Yeah, yeah. So and, that, know, that was a, that was
1: a uh, a topic that. Gained a lot of traction, um, I think, at the Carapuas conference was that, and and again, it was Majin Haja who Mazin, who um, who brought it up, and it's that we spend a lot of time, you know, I guess, looking at our brewers as as uh, professionals and training them and and uh, certifying them and that sort of thing. We probably need to give the same degree of attention to those who are who are actually selling, repping, distributing, and pouring the beers as well.
0: Yep absolutely and you know, maintaining the tap lines and all of those sorts of things which uh, all, all of which go hand in yeah. hand But uh, exactly But so, so that was our interviews now let's see what Lockie's got for uh, our mailbag theme this week hey There has been quite a bit of discussion. We've alluded to the, uh, let me see, we we might go to to comments first. Um, We've alluded to some of the discussion that's focused around the Mazen Hajar stuff. Um,
1: It's fair to say that he drew a little bit of um, interest and uh, feedback. Yeah. um, Perhaps more so than than any other guest has in, in recent times. But beer is a conversation, we certainly
0: encourage it. Um, Miro Bellini, a well-known Melbourne craft beer rep um, and now working for, I was going to say Boston, but it's, uh, of course, Brooklyn, um, saying this is an interesting opinion piece. My concern is that it doesn't set out to prove that buying taps is in fact wrong. You discuss convincing anecdotes, but the plural of anecdote is not evidence. Nice line, mirror. I'll be stealing that myself. <laughs> um, we are no close to any facts here, and I don't think a small brewery needs to be reprimanded for buying taps. And yeah, and that is the flip side of of, of the discussion. So um, there was a, quite a bit more in uh, Miro's um, comment um, that I'd encourage you to go and read. Um, but yeah, it, it was quite interesting. And then um, we've also seen. Uh, Jamie, uh, reader, Jamie, sorry, completely disagree. In a market where the numbers of suppliers, brewers, is increasing rapidly, brewers uh, need to use whatever tools necessary in order to build distribution and consistency of sales, which is going back to what I was saying during the interview. The 3.5K mentioned in the article, investment is a fixed tap point, might only represent 10% of revenue uh, or 10% discount for a premium beer that sells two kegs a week. As a brewery, if you're not in a position to fund a 10% discount for a targeted tap position, you seriously need to reassess the profitability of your business model. Anyway, there's a bit more to that one as well. But again, taking in that point, you know, um, consistency uh, and also um, how does paying money up front differ from giving a discount on your product? So uh, certainly some great discussions. A few other comments there. Very much. Um, Then in terms of actual comments um paul pacey who's uh given us feedback in the past including thanking us for being regular uh sent an email um hi matt and prof since you basically begged us for feedback
1: um, <laughs> that's i resemble that remark we, well we, we, we may have a little a bit
0: because uh well to be honest we're a little bit disappointed that uh you know muzzin said that he'd been getting all of these uh cards and letters to him um about his comment and not To us, discussing his comments. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so, you know, obviously people are reading it. People will have something to say. Um, We'd like to be the forum for them to say that. But uh, uh, he listened to Mazar speak about the challenge of the Australian good beer industry and was enlightening and informative. Everything he spoke about made complete sense. Paul, let us know what you think about the contrary sides of the the coin that we've uh, talked a little bit about today. Um, It is the human element that keeps me engaged in the good beer industry. I prefer to spend my money on a good product and knowing that my business keeps... Small businesses trading gives me great satisfaction i 've seen the large breweries, and in my opinion, everything about their operation is driven towards delivering the maximum profit to its owners and shareholders good point paul that's also um, to be fair how capitalism works um, but that's the, the the point of difference um, anyway uh, yes he's also about to head and do a major Trip to Sydney and Albury, um, including stopping off to see Richard Watkins uh, at Bent Spoke, um, having listened to the podcast. So, Paul, thank you very much for uh, for uh, giving us that bit of feedback. And uh, listeners, please don't make us beg. Uh, the number three zero four zero one five zero eight. That number again, listeners. Oh seven three zero four zero one five zero eight. Email us uh, or give us a call and let us know. Um, obviously. You've heard how it is when I read out the, uh, the emails that we're sending. Um, it, it's, it would be much better if we could hear your thoughts in your own voice rather than having me put my inflection on it. So uh, feel free to use that number and uh, leave us a message. Otherwise, just send us an email or anything else that you want to do. We do have some more feedback on uh, iTunes. Uh, Mikey Z, who we've uh, talked about before, who has uh, commented before, has given us a five-star rating. Thank you very much, Mikey Z. Um, this was the first beer podcast I ever started listening to, and it's still my favourite. They tackle a wide range of topics, have great guests, and aren't afraid to get on their soapbox either. Love it. Uh, well, yeah, definitely.
1: Mind you, your soapbox, i tell you what, it's, it's getting cobwebs. It hasn't come out much recently at all. You think? No. I mean, you've, you, a couple of times you've rested a foot on it, but you haven't really kind of fully engaged.
0: Okay. I, I thought, well, um, I had talking about comments this week um, in response to... Our article about Beer the Beautiful Truth, which is Lion's category campaign. I had Dermot O'Donnell, who uh, would be no stranger to those in the brewing industry. And a top bloke. bloke. Top bloke, working for Asahi um, and Brewing Cricketers Arms. Um, but he, he weighed in so said, Hi, Matt, I think in your role as conscience of the brewing industry, you shouldn't be asking yourself whether saying mainstream beers are ninety-nine 99%, percent, 99.9% sugar-free isn't a bit misleading. He then goes on to say that most beers have up to 25% sugar in their grist um, and whilst this is predominantly fermented into alcohol it is presumably the basis of the claim, I feel your average consumer would be led to believe that no sugar was used in the brewing of beer, a la the Ryan Um mm, Yeah, it did would. Well, there, there are a couple of things there. Firstly, profit. Do I see myself as a role of the conscience of the brewing industry?
1: I won't tell you what other people have described you as.
0: No, please do that. I, I you know, tell I, think, me what other I, think, people... I think moral thermometer may have been
1: used once, or the. Uh, really? Yeah. Um, I can't think of the other one now, but I'll have to ask it because I know the guy, and I can, I can hear him laughing in the background. Um, so I'll just double <laughs> check what he because it was, it was just an absolute cracker. You yeah, know, we've we've talked about this before.
0: But anyway, I I get all uh, sort of funny when I think that. You know, I've got my idea of, you know, I I, I search for consistency in things and look for answers um, that, you know, I'm personally happy with. And I guess having the platform that we've got, it lets me, uh, you know, I I, I take, I'll hopefully take other people along for the ride. But yeah, 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 I I certainly don't see myself as the uh, conscience or the moral thermometer. Um, Look, I I, I just, yeah, um, am fairly clear in my own views about things. And give people a hard time if they don't agree. I guess arbiter of all <laughs>
1: things righteous. I think might have been <laughs> in the beer world. Uh, yeah. These no, are I all compliments, Matt. They're all compliments.
0: No, no, I'm not. Oh, yeah, good. No, Is I'm that the time?
1: We better keep moving now. <laughs> the listeners will be getting.
0: Loyal. Oh no, no, I, I no, wear it. listeners, write in and tell me. Uh, yeah. Describe enjoy. Matt in, a, in in one <laughs> in one brief
1: platitude.
0: Well, this is the funny thing, you know, I certainly don't mind hearing it because, uh, you know, you need to hear these things and, you know, I, I you know, I, I do sort of put my views out there. But anyway, that completely digress. Do you think um, that Lion, in saying that beers are 99.9% sugar-free... Is suggesting that they don't use sugar in the brewing process, or as I responded and I replied to. Is, to is, yeah, is the assumption made that, okay, well, it did have sugar
1: in it, but it's brewed out in the fermentation process, therefore, the 99.9% refers to what is left when you actually get the beer in your hand?
0: Yeah, because um, I said to, in my response, I don't think most consumers care that most mainstream beers use sugar in the brewing process, just whether there is sugar in them when they are consumed. The campaign definitely minimises the use of adjunct sugars in the brewing process, but it still does refer to them. And if you go to the website, you see that they do talk about brewing sugars. You know, bunch you, there's lots of photos of grain and that sort of thing, which is three quarters of the grist in most of the mainstream beers and sugar is the other quarter. But given that the whole site is actually about debunking the myth that there are you know high levels of carbs in the beer that you drink you know to talk about sugars up front is probably confusing the issue a little bit so anyway
1: yeah 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 I, i think the the understanding kind of gets a little bit mashed
0: yeah but uh anyway um back to mikey z thank you very much for leaving us uh feedback i'm just looking at Uh, what else he's done um, in his reviews, as as we always do when people leave reviews. He's given us five stars. He's given Ale of a Time, uh, Luke and Dave's podcast, a um, five-star rating. I find it demure yet delicately playful, albeit with a bitter finish. No, wait, hang on. That's my wife. Yeah, the podcast's good. Enjoy it. There you go. So uh, we're up there with Ale of a Time. Combank doing something wrong. They only got three stars. Uh, Facebook got one star. (laughs) Um, and iMovie app got three stars. So uh, look, it, it, Mikey Z doesn't mind giving a you know, a little bit of a bad review. Where's dessert? Yeah, uh, yeah, fair enough. We got five stars, so that that's nice. But uh, listeners, please, if you like what we do, or even if you don't like what we do, especially if you don't like what I do, um, jump on, give us a uh, rating on uh, Facebook, or on on, sorry, on Facebook, or you can leave you comments can on Facebook. Yeah. Find us, go to iTunes, uh, help other people find the podcast uh, by giving, or help them avoid our podcast if, <laughs> if you think it warrants that. Um, and uh, jump on iTunes or just, yeah, as as we've uh, given you the number, that number again, oh seven three zero four zero one five zero eight. And 1508. Uh, Hashtag describe you're... Matt, don't forget. Send it. <laughs> the best one now, might, is it t- might even win a prize. Hopefully that wasn't too much begging uh, for feedback. But, Prof, uh, mate, always great to chat. Um, we must away. We must away, and uh, we'll be back next week. Who have we got next week? I'm just trying to think. We had uh, we were looking at doing a roundtable with Muzzin and a few other people about to have contracts, but I think we've probably given that a bit of an airing for the time being. And, uh, yeah, we'll find Plus, it's fair something. to say,
1: it's harder to find people who are anti-contract than those who will support
0: it it's very hard to find people and and who, who wish to go on the record and
1: I, t- I totally get that because you know it's it's just there's, there's a risk of it being uh misinterpreted or um or, or seen as you know there's black or there's white
0: which there isn't and you and, and you know look go just going back to you know the the, the stuff that we were joking about me um without wanting to be seen as defending myself too much that's one of the reasons why, you know, I sort of do put my views out there because, as we've said a number of times on the podcast, the best conversations about beer take place in pubs when no one's on the record um, and you hear a lot of points of view that people never sort of put in print, that they never put their you know, find their way into um, podcasts or media articles or those sorts of things. You know, as soon as people go on the record, they don't want to risk offending anybody um because when you you upset people the you know the, the wheels fall off and it, it yeah. doesn't have to be the extreme of being a circle jerk but there is also you know everybody feels the need to play nice um and that's something that you know when, when we set up Bruce news we wanted to have a point of difference that was we did want to give ventilation to some of these things and uh if that means that i you know am the guy saying these things um then that's only because these you know uh, th- these are things that no one else is prepared to say out loud and I figure that well that's something I can do so um, but, but it is interesting that whenever we often when we have these discussions uh, privately i am the least extreme point of view um, you know in, in the private conversations so but, but press that record button and damn back <laughs> but I, I, I don't like to that I, I see myself oh, but, in, as a oh, well, well, the model But anyway Lockie, save me Get me out of here Strike up the band